welcome back to the podcast as we last week listened to Wolfgang Simpson unpack some of the, the passion and the vibrancy of kingdom versus religion and what God is doing on the earth today and we're in our second part of the uh, podcast now and I'm sure that you're going to be continually blessed, challenged but also you're really going to just say Lord what do I need to reset in my brain and heart as I give myself over to the kingdom of God. Uh, last uh, last uh, week, we Wolfgang challenged us that uh, instead of religion, which is uh, having a founder with dogmas, traditions, and rituals, that we would make Jesus king, the active king, and that we would bow the knee to his law, the, the, the commands of Christ, and start to live on that, and that we would live with kingdom economics and the leadership of the Holy Spirit is the one, the, the one who drives the ministry. But really, really good stuff and worth just listening to. If you haven't listened to this first podcast, press pause, go back, listen to that first podcast by Wolfgang, because it will, it will be a blessing to you. Wolfgang, thank you so much. Um, just jumping into the continuation, we've talked about the kingdom versus religion and the idea of, of, of Jesus establishing his kingdom on earth. Uh, what do you see that God is doing today, uh, and what is the gospel? I mean, that, 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 that small question, but in the sense of he's establishing his kingdom, what is that, and what does that look like? Um, welcome back, everybody. Um, I, I admire you coming back to listen to the second part of this Wolfgang guy, if you have heard the first one. But uh, look, um, from a classical church planning perspective, we would essentially say, you know, the, the biggest unreached people groups in the world today are three groups. The more than one billion aggressively secularized global youth. Uh, number, number two, those that feel before they analyze and are not interested in your Bible study because they don't read. And number C, with 80% of the world's population who are oral learners. That means they are, again, not reading your books. They're, uh, they're, they're beyond the ability of... They say to whatever you say, whatever. You know, that kind of group. Um, but the kingdom of God is something so super fascinating that most people are discovering it. I, I written a little thing called the kingdom passport, and I started, uh, you know, with all this migration going around the world. You know, people fleeing from A to B and migration, migration, migration. And I essentially wrote a, a little a little booklet that you can download at kingdompassport.eu, EU for European Union, uh, where I basically say, look, many people are running from ADB. They are hunted. They run away from whatever, split marriages, economics, war, uh, Putin, whatever. Uh, but where did they run to? And I say a lot of people around the world, I would say the majority, is homesick for a country they've never been. They're homesick for a country they've never been. And I say that's the king. They are hungry. Like, like Abraham is told about in the book of Hebrews, he was looking and searching for a city, uh, for a better father and a city whose builder and founder is God, for this, this place that is undefined for many people. And many people dream about the city of God in, in one way or the other, uh, where they want to live together with God and each other. That's what the king really is. It starts with hunger that is already placed inside people. 
And I would say, you know, that city, the, the, the Bible uses sometimes mountain language to describe that. The mountain of the Lord uh, is the domain of God's influence in this world. And it's in the last days, it shall be higher than all other mountains, and the people will run to it. The people will run to it. What a prophetic statement. And will basically, you know, embrace a leadership from Mount Zion. And in order to run to the mountain of the kingdom, Hebrew 12 kind of mountain, we have come to Mount Zion, they need to run away from the religious mountain, or I say the religious hill of the mountain. You can be on the Irish rock of religion, you know, an impressive but, you know, fairly unimpressive uh, piece of rock compared with uh, the highest mountains in the world. And you think like, I'm standing on the top of hill song, you know, or something, where the religious world where you are is a hill compared with a mountain of the kingdom and you need to get out of that hill you need to actually walk away uh, walk down the hill you know into the direction of the kingdom which i call it a migration where people move into this one and then get detoxed you know get out of religion and even if you're out of religion who takes religion out of you because it's so embedded in you that it needs to be driven out like a demon i call it reset i, I have a whole online day that it essentially brings people to the place where they get out of the swamp of religion and get free to move and migrate into the domain of the kingdom of God, which is a life under the kingship of Christ, under his law or based on his law, within kingdom economics, the amazing uh, um, system of economics that does not mean like other Australians are saying that God must make you successful and rich no Dave Hodson it's not like that there is a different way that the kingdom of God makes you significant and well taken care of and actually at the forefront of kingdom innovations like so many of my friends are involved in in this kingdom economic stuff and lastly uh, life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit which means you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow and next year and if you do know Maybe you know too much. Maybe you plan too much. Maybe you're a German like me who is planning for the next 10, 15, 50 years and leaves no space for the Holy Spirit. What's the good news? I remember I was in Liberia the other day, uh, that West African country steaming with religion. I think the first church in Liberia was, was already planted before the ship of the slaves returning from America was even on shore. So it's a super, super religious country with churches at every corner. One house means two churches. It's crazy. But it's also one of the poorest, most pathetic countries in the world, steaming with religion. And I remember when I came there, uh, speaking to a group of pastors, bishops, this, that, uh, I thought, how do we communicate the gospel of the kingdom here? Because the gospel of the kingdom is so violently different from the, the way that people think the gospel is. Because when, when people hear the gospel, they think Billy Graham or something. Come to Jesus, come to my church, preferably my church. And then sit there at this pew for the next 47 years, pay your bills, and everything shall be fine. I mean, that's not the gospel. That's a religious uh, membership trick. Because you become part of an insurance company that sells insurances against hell, and then you find out maybe that these insurances are not even backed up by real by real contracts. So the gospel of the kingdom is so much different. It means that there is this country, there's this God, there's loving king out there who has um, a space for you. Where basically, you know, Jesus and Christ are both one person. Jesus is the part of him that saves you, heals you, delivers you. But Christ is the one who rules you, reigns you, directs you, sends you. 
Because so many people are in this life, you can see it so quickly, they have no mission. Nobody ever sent them. So they stumble through life. They, they stagger through life. Try out this, try out that. Follow each other, peer pressured, like driven. And they, they, like, they do church planning because other people are doing church planning. And it's like a peer pressure. Um, are you really sent? So often people are not because they have not come yet to the Mount Zion. They're still running around the religious hill. Get out of it. So coming to the realization that the kingdom is God's design of life, life as it should be, a friend of mine always says, life as it should be, life on earth as it should be, and life in your life as it should be. That's how it should be in, in all areas of life, sex, money, power, health, whatever it is. And I remember when I went to Liberia and stood in front of these people and they asked me kind of the same question, Wolf, what's the gospel of the kingdom? The first thing I needed to say is, I repent. I'm sorry. Somebody needs to come to you and say, look, you have been the victims of three colonial attacks. One is the classical colonial thing we all know, you know, that the, the Berlin Conference, 1884 or so, where the, the, the European nations came together and they discovered, they decided uh, to cut up Africa like a cake and which part is being taken by the Portugal, Spain, Germany, England, France. Um, and uh, isn't Australia a colony? I forgot that. Uh, so the whole idea of colonialism. And then secondly came the religious colonialism, often on the back of um, the military or political colonialism, where the white man brought white man's church to brown man's problems. And a lot of the brown people, or black, or you know what I'm saying, uh, instinctively rejected white man's concepts because they were so alien. And the, the white missionaries then were angry and said, oh, you are aborigines and you people, you just don't understand how privileged you are to listen to my white man's story. Uh, and, and because the missionaries often believe they're preaching the kingdom of God, but they weren't. Uh, and, and as a result, there was a big mismatch. And lastly, there's a cultural colonialism that is happening right now. Wimpy McDonald's uh, clothes, music, styles, thinking patterns, where one culture seems to dominate the whole world and becomes one uniform robotic place. That's a cultural imperialism that nowadays is in full swing. Now, when I was in Liberia, I basically said I came to repent for colonialism number two. For the religious colonialism, I want to say sorry because I come from the kind of bunch of people that brought the problem here, saying it's the solution. And uh, the kingdom of God is not religion, and it's not Lutheran or Baptist or Pentecostal type churches. It's a lifestyle of God. When Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, I will take away, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you, Pharisees, and given to a nation that shall bring forth its fruit. What an amazing statement. And I said, can you forgive people like me who came with full favor and flavor and fervor to bring you the religion of the West and start a mega church and one more? Can you forgive us? We made such a mess. And there was a lot of weeping and, and repenting and tears on my behalf, on their behalf. I call it decolonizing missions, you know, where we need to clear the playing field, take out the garbage, because, look, people can't hear usually the gospel of the kingdom because the gospel of religion has already been there. So somebody needs to detox them, say sorry, and be believable, be authentic. You know, my, I have three sons, and one of them says, Dad, in our world, or the young people, nobody believes anybody in New York anymore. Nobody believes anything because the, the, we basically see everybody uh, takes the better of others. We steal, 
connive, lie our way through life, cheat our way through life. We are in a survival mindset, so we do whatever is necessary in order to survive. So we don't believe anybody except blockchain. And he said, why blockchain? He said, well, blockchain is a digital product, NFTs, uh, you know, it's, it's a traceable, publicly uh, recognizable and verifiable statement of truth that nobody can mess around with. That's why it enforces trust. It's a funny expression. It enforces trust, blockchain. Think about it. And I thought, you know, how can followers of Christ learn from blockchain? <laughs> how can we enforce trust? And one of the answers is we need to be brutally honest with ourselves on our history. We need not to come and say, hey, we found it. We have started this new hip church. It's called C3, C4, C5, C28, whatever brand you've been running with. And, and, and say, I realize it's bullshit. It's my ego preaching. It's us versus you. It's, it's, it's our movement spreading to Myanmar and Singapore and Vietnam. And we are going to become big. And our umbrella and our movement, our website, our, our uh, income, our donations are rising. Who cares? Hello, oh, only you care. But people out there don't wait for another successful religious movement. We have seen it all. They look for a different thing. They look mm -hmm. for a country they're homesick for where they've never been. They look for people who preach to them that there is such a country and they, that they model to be the citizens of this country. They show them the fruits of the economics of the country, like, uh, you know, Moses and, and Aaron, uh, they got the, the spies back from, from the promised land then, which was big grapes from the Valley of Eshkol, this kind of stuff. So we need to demonstrate to people and give them to eat from the fruits of the kingdom, whatever that now is. And I believe, you know, um, there are so many things that I can mention. Let me just mention one thing because it actually involves Australia. Uh, you may find this funny. If you've never heard it, that might really excite you. But that's when, for me, the kingdom of God becomes very tangible. So here's a story. In the 60s, 1960s, there was a Zen Buddhist in Romania. Oh, sorry, I think it was Bulgaria. Who was a Zen Buddhist who came to Christ through a vision. And he became a follower of Christ. I think he was a Zen monk or something. And then in a, in a dream, he saw a, 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 a technical apparatus that created a gas that I think the, the vision called water gas. The man's name was Yul Brown, so it later on was called Brown's gas, which is essentially a highly implosive gas. It implodes at a speed of 11,000 kilometers per second, whereby petrol you know, explodes at, I think, 170 kilometers per second. So it's an amazing substance. Some people call it the most explosive substance on Earth. And he saw that in a vision and built the, built the apparatus, which he couldn't build in Bulgaria, so he went to Australia and built a system of brown gas production out of normal water one liter you can produce 1820 gas liters of uh, brown's gas and he was he saw that you can actually power a car with this you can run a car so in 1971 there was a documentary where he drove a big american car all the way through australia filling it up with a garden hose is that relevant and interesting to anybody out there? You know, if, if, if you don't, don't have to rely on Russian gas and oil or even Muslim oil and gas, would that change the world? Well, absolutely. The funny thing is that this whole discovery of brown's gas was suppressed, 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 uh, belittled. The thing is, it still exists. And I was just a few days ago, in fact, two days ago, I was with friends here in Germany that have been experimenting with this. 
and basically confirmed and said this brown gas is literally the most interesting substance in the world. It can drive cars, it can heat houses, it can, if you breathe it, it has regenerative powers that you wouldn't believe. They're making now clinical tests with medical doctors. It's absolutely amazing. And I think it's simply a God substance. It's, it's, Sometimes the kingdom of God, I describe the kingdom of God as a storehouse of solutions made in heaven for problems made in hell. And water gas is just one. There are so many other solutions that I see people who are aligned to the kingdom they bring to earth. Another group of friends that I have, they're in, near Birmingham in England, and they have discovered by a God vision how to completely eliminate the, the, the carbon footprint, the complete carbon footprint to bring emissions of scooters and ships and everything in between to zero. Would that solve anybody's problem? It would. And I could go on and on and on. I've written a little booklet called The Reinvention of the World based on the rediscovery or the discovery of these kind of solutions made in heaven. And, um, and we need to bring this to the world. And sometimes the first thing to start is to say sorry for the mess we have brought before, where we brought a solution that was actually more part of the problem. So the kingdom of God, life as it should be. And let me let me also say something. It doesn't always have to be supernatural. It always it doesn't have to involve big visions, big dreams. I once started a thing that I call the fork challenge. The fork challenge sounds very funny because I came to the conclusion. Uh, you may find this um, disturbing when you hear it. So kids, get out of the room. Um, I believe we are. We have entered the Third World War. No, I'm not talking about uh, Lavrov and, Put and Putin. I'm talking about a war that has started uh, right around 1985 onwards in a way that hardly anybody noticed. If you just look at the death toll of the First World War, where people died at the hands of other people, it was something like one and a half million people a year from 1940. 1914, 1918. The Second World War was higher in its in its victim rates. It was about 10 million a year. Um, so about 60 million people altogether died at the hands of other people. Now, in today's world, with abortion and with other things I'm just coming to, we are seeing roughly about 110 to 120 million people die unnecessarily every year. That is double as much as the entire Second World War over stretch over six years in one year and no newspaper is even talking about it and one of the biggest destructive weapons is we kill ourselves with food that is not food I call it the fork is the biggest weapon of mass destruction on the planet and the three most toxic substances that are almost like demons on the food table are genetically modified wheat that has a glycemic index response of around uh, 75 to 85, that is more sugary than sugar. That means if you go to McDonald's, the problem is not the, 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 the great meat, but it's the thing that looks like a bun, but it's essentially 130% sugar. And that's you stuff in your mouth and you think you remain sane. No, you don't. You become nuts. Secondly, people are eating insane amounts of real sugar, you know, 400 times more than a person can actually do. The average Australian, German, American eats their own life weight in sugar every year. And it creates a dependency in your brain. The dopamine uh, uh, hormones are being uh, 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 
uh, triggered and you become addicted. And this addiction to genetically modified wheat that entered the market right around 1985, that's why 1985 is an interesting date, Biafra crisis, Mexican uh, scientists invented a, a, a strain of wheat that isn't wheat anymore. It's a mutant. It's a Frankenstein's monster wheat, dwarf wheat, turbo wheat, that is no longer the wheat of grandmother. And if you eat it, you become addicted. And if you then mix these things with chemicals, this is the third substance. Uh, the average person is drinking a five liter or a bucket of chemicals every year. And it makes you sick, sick, sick and die early. The whole idea of diabetes, the mix between diabetes and obesity, is all driven by wheat, sugar and chemicals. And it creates these little experiences in your mouth called advanced glycemic end products, you know, like a Mars bar or something. That is the worst of the worst and you are addicted to it. And people are suffering with this miserable life. Their sex life is out. They look like a pair. They look ugly. They, they become moving mountains. And they suffer. The World Health Organization, which, believe me, has very little to do with health, has declared in, in, in a moment of sanity um, uh, uh, this to be the, the pandemic number one, the whole onslaught of, of genetically modified wheat, sugar, and uh, chemicals. However, they do not mention. They only say we have a problem with diabetes and we need new drugs, which is a lie. So if you want to help people, tell them to master the fork, because the fork is the weapons of mass destruction that people kill themselves with. And most people, so I challenge people and say, 40 days without wheat, without sugar, without chemicals. Do it, man. And uh, you suddenly realize that you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your super addicted state. Because most people don't even know how deep they are in this kind of thing. And after three days, you know, if you try to do this alone, you will find yourself in the pantry in the middle of the night and trying to, to eat the, the wallpapers because you're so addicted. You need to eat something. And I believe, you know, we need to help people stop eating poison. Simple. And, and create places where people become healed. Because if you are always addicted and dealing with a sick body, you are absorbed from anything, including God. And I believe it's a satanic strategy. And the people of God needs to be people of liberty, a spiritual Goshen, where people eat different, live different, love different, share different lives together. And that needs to be modeled. So this is where the kingdom of God becomes good news. Hey, there is this country. There is this Jesus who offers himself to be your king. And he offers this kingship not just to you as a person. He offers it to whole clans and tribes. Remember Acts 9.15? You guys are listening to a, a podcast of Praxis, which means Acts of the Apostles. So in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, 15, Paul is being prophesied to, and God says to him, you are a chosen vessel to bring my name before three target audiences. This is Wolfgang's augmented version. Uh, who are the three target audiences? Number one, kings. That means governments. Number two, nations, entire entities. Ethne means people groups, tribes, clans. And number three, the children of Israel, which speaks about the individual person. Classical evangelicalism has been focusing on the last part. Is there anybody here? When I preach, close your eyes and raise your hands, go to your knees and pray the sinner's prayer. So we address the gospel of salvation to the individual. But I believe, you know, that we can present the gospel of the kingdom to entire nations to Liberia, to a tribe, to the Aborigines, to the Maoris, to, uh, you know, the trucker clans, whatever clans are out there, a collective group of people. I recently sat in a plane, was it from Basel, Switzerland to London, and uh, it was an easy jet flight, and uh, the door opened and a group of very large, young, loud men came in there, Pakistanis, you know, 
guys like whatever two meter about the smallest in size and 150 mm-hmm. kilogram upward and it was a, obviously a gang and they were drunk or slightly drunk they had obviously been partying and the leader sat right next to me a big hulk of a man so I ended up and for some reason I said man you're sweating you didn't sleep well did you party hard yeah we partied hard and I said um but you look, I had a prophetic word, something like, you look worried. It seems like you don't sleep just because you party hard. There's something else that bothers you, right? And he looked at me and he uh, says, are you, um, are you connected to God? I said, if you're suspecting that I'm Christian, I must disappoint you. I'm not a Christian. Um, I was a Christian, but now I realize, you know, that that is not what God came for. He came to start his, uh, <laughs> don't be surprised when I say this, uh, uh, he started his caliphate because the word caliphate in the original meaning a caliph is the is the keeper of God's order Adam and Eve were the first uh, uh, caliphs of, of, of the world and and then uh, God came and says they need more than that, they need my sharia the word sharia which Muslims use to mean uh, Islamic law actually means way to the watering hole sharia and I explained that Jesus is both the way and the watering hole and he gave us a law that is so much more fascinating and he wants us to have caliphats of the kingdom of God where the law of Christ and his economy is done and the way we eat and party and the guy started to cry and he says I, I realized that you represent something I've never run into. What is it? Because look, we are we are essentially a clan of Muslim bandits and mafiosos from Birmingham. We are 170 of us, and yes, we went partying, but we are troubled. I am troubled. We have just murdered too many people, slit too many throats, slit too many bellies. We we work in prostitution, drugs, it's a whole mafia thing. And I can't sleep. I saw my my best friend killed in front of my eyes, and I'm just can't sleep. Really, this is my my problem. I said. You, man, can find peace right now, right here, by entering this country. And I'm not offering you religion. I hope you understand. I don't want you to become a Christian. And he almost cried. He says, oh, my God, tell me more about this. All my clan must hear this. Can you come to Birmingham? This is what we need. And I'm just saying, uh, this is something. This message of the kingdom is so good, so hopeful, and so non-religious. That when you come to people and explain it, you know, their eyes will pop out of their sockets. Because that's what they look for all their lives. They look for that. I will never forget, you know, I was in Indonesia, not far from you guys. Uh, I was in Bandung doing our search conference. Was it in the 2008 or 10 or something? And uh, I, I was at this conference, uh, and, and suddenly the organizers came to me and said, Wolf, danger. Uh, you know, the, that was the time of the, of the war um, between Muslims and Christians, Lombok and all. Um, many Christians killed, uh, slaughtered with bachetas and everything. And there's a group of people out there that don't, they don't look so good. And they're asking for you by name. And it might be the wrong people, and you might want to flee right now with a car, and we can bring you to the airport and whatnot. So I went outside, and I, I, I looked through the kind of window blinds, and I asked God, are these guys good? And God said to me, yeah, I sent them. So I went out. And, and there was a group of people, like 10, 12, they were all dressed in motorbike clothes, ponytail, a lot of metal, you know, tattoos, leather cloth, leather this, leather that. So for me, they look cool. So I go there and they say, are you Wolfgang Simpson? I said, yeah, who are you? They started to laugh and to cry and to run around and they started to grab me. You know, these, these little Indonesians, this big bulky Wolfgang, that was like 20, 20 kilos ago. And, and they lifted me in the air set me in the chair finally and said daddy do you want uh, coke or Fanta I remember that I said 
get off me, people. Who are you? What dad? You know, are you my bastards? What? what? I, Coke Fanta, what is it? They laughed their heads off and they said, you know, whoa, we're actually Jihad Islamia. We are Osama bin Laden's uh, guys, uh, a terrorist organization. Uh, we, we killed so many Christians. We, uh, whatever. So, however, then we had a dream. We, we, we saw a white man appear to us, uh, you know, and say to us, you know, John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So we were sitting in a coffee shop in Jakarta, just, uh, you know, playing domino and whatever you do as a terrorist in your spare time and you don't blow up people. And suddenly a guy came to their table who actually later on I found out he had heard about a, a, a strategy, a mission strategy God once gave uh, actually me uh, somewhere in Cyprus long ago where, where God said to me, go to this guy over there whom I didn't know, with the white hair, and start a interpretation broadcast in Arabic for Muslims having dreams about Jesus, usually the white guy stuff. And the guy turned out to be a radio guy, uh, Ibra Radio, a Pentecostal Swedish radio mission. And, and, and we did that, and I don't know how many tens of thousands or maybe millions of Muslims came to Christ because they found someone on the radio interpreting a dream they had in secret. So one guy had taken the method, gone to Indonesia, and here it comes entering the story, going to the, 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 the table of the terrorists and asking them, has anybody here recently seen a white man in a dream? A very innocent question. And some people will look at him like, the mental hospital is down here, this road. But their eyes popped out, you know, the, the pupils went, went, went wide. And he said, oh, I see you have. Well, if you, if you, if you give me a tea, then I will, I will explain to you the two questions that you might have right now. And they quickly organized the tea. And the two questions were, who was the man in white? And he explained from biblical references, and his clothes turned white as snow, you know, the four references about Jesus in the New Testament with white clothes. And the second question is, what does this person want from you? And the answer is, what he always wants from people, drop everything and become his disciples. For them, it made perfect sense, and within two sentences, they decided to do that, just that. And because of their religious mindset, they, they went to the largest church in, in Jakarta that they could find at the time, which was uh, Abalaf Christian Fellowship, Eddie Leo and Samitun Tangalan, these guys. And they went there... Um, to kind of join it. <laughs> when a couple of terrorists come to your church and want to join it, you're like, ah, wait a minute, guys, you know, can we check you out first? I had been at a church uh, before, and they had translated uh, a book of mine, Houses to Change the World, into, uh, into Indonesian, so they gave them my book in order to almost like ward them off, you know, then go read that book and then come back in, in, in 10 years or so. So they, they took my book, and they read it, and they underlined everything, learned stuff by heart, and this is how I became their daddy without even knowing it. And when they found out I'm in the country, they, they, they sought me out and they told me about the story and it was just real love. Uh, I promise I didn't drink the Coke. Uh, I don't like Coke. Um, maybe sometimes. But um, so, And then later on told me they went ahead and planted more than 1,200 churches in, in the little time that they started to begin understanding this whole thing about house church. Because, you know, Muslim terrorists are a perfect audience to plan house church movements. They've already given their lives away to Allah. They've already decided on their knees that they will obey. And if you really look at it, the kingdom of God has a frontier, a border. How would you define the frontier of the kingdom of God? Just a quick check for you. You know, well, who is in, who is out? And the answer is that border is called loving 
obedience, loving obedience. Paul doesn't want to uh, establish the faith in all the nations, Romans 1.5. He wants to establish the obedience of faith. And Romans 16 is the same story. So Muslim terrorists have an element of obedience that most Christians have no clue how deep it goes. So when they come in touch with this loving king, it, a bomb goes off in a good sense, and it happened. And I see this all over the place. So what I'm saying is, guys, make sure you reset your gospel. Make sure your life is good news of the kingdom of God. That you live and model the kingdom of God in your life, in your sex life, financial life, your family, the way you interact, the way you do business, that you model it. Before you do that, don't go out of the house. Remember a Chinese saying that is so good, it could be in the Bible. It says, before you go out to, to change the world, walk three times around your own house. So, is your house a kingdom house? Is it under the kingship of Christ? Is it based on the constitution of the kingdom of God? Uh, I, I Honestly, I, I talk about the, 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 the constitution of the kingdom to a lot of people. And I find that 95% of Christians, they don't hear a word I'm saying. It goes in and out. They hear law and they run. They have no clue about constitutionality. And they have no clue they have no clue. And if you have no constitution that you can base your life on, guess what? No government will ever hire you. Enter the kingdom. If you want to work for your government, you must swear an oath of allegiance to the constitution of your country. And it's the same thing in the kingdom of God. What does God do with a bunch of rebels who are their own laws, who are hobos, who, who, who want to do, you know, the outback thing, who want to do their own stuff? Man, we are so free that we don't even need the law of Christ. Well, if you don't need the law of Christ, then you're a rebel. You're an Amalekite, which is the big troublesome nation. The Old Testament made problems for Israel, the Amalekites. And you know what Amalekite means in Hebrew? Amalek means those who have no king, the kingless people. And I would say outright, 99% of all Christians are Amalekites. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe mm -hmm. the number is higher. So, you know, live under the kingship of Christ. Don't be an Amalekite. Number two, live based on the constitution of the kingdom. I have this kingdom passport out there that introduces you to it. And I've written a book. I have a poster on, on the thing. I know nobody cares about that, but God cares very much because it's one of the four foundational cornerstones of the kingdom where Jesus says the stone that the builders have rejected have become the cornerstone. Fourth, thirdly, kingdom economics. I've spoken about this before elsewhere, and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When you live that, and you live it in, as a family, or as a clan, or as a music group, or, or as a sports club, or as a chess club, or, 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 then people see something in you, what I call the unique selling propositions of the kingdom. The unique selling propositions of the kingdom. Which means stuff. You do stuff, and stuff happens that does not happen anywhere else. Now let me bring this to a close somewhere. You know, I, I live close to the border in Switzerland. Switzerland is kind of a post-church, post-Christian country, just like most of Europe. So people are not interested. The church is not trustworthy. Remember, Bitcoin is trustworthy. It enforces trust, but church enforces you leaving the church, actually. Um, so in that climate, somebody came to me and says, Wolf, what are the commands of Christ? I found that there are 75. You know, when Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, I, I went ahead and counted everything wherever there is an exclamation mark where Jesus says, do this, don't do that. So I ended up with 75 laws, you know, wetted and shaken down and, and all the doublets are out of the laws that appear in the various Gospels. So one of the laws is um, 
heal the sick, uh, drive out demons, raise the dead. Matthew 10.8. And, and somebody asked me, what Bible school do people go um, to, to raise the dead? Because, you know, raising the dead is kind of not anymore out there, but in days of Jesus, it, it was. And um, we decided that there is no Bible school, so if nothing happens, happen yourself. So we organized a conference. It was called Raising the Dead. It was happening in this little Pentecostal church somewhere in Switzerland that offered their, their rooms for such a crazy conflict. The conference was completely filled with people, and we had a, a rule. We invited people who had to speak, but only those could speak that either had raised somebody from the dead themselves, number two, have been risen by the dead uh, from the dead themselves, and number three, are a medical doctor in active practice that has witnessed a person witnessed from the dead, uh, coming from the dead. Otherwise, nobody is even touching the microphone. That was our ethics, our standards, because remember, nobody believes things except Bitcoin, uh, blockchain, sorry, blockchain. Right. I correct myself. I mean blockchain when I say Bitcoin. Um, so we had so many stories of people raised from the dead I don't have the time to tell you uh, it, it's, an, it's another three podcasts but we had quite amazing stories of people raised from the dead uh, after being declared dead by the most you know, well known hospital in, in Switzerland and uh, after eight hours the guy came back from the dead and the same after someone had prayed for him and the same doctor who verified his death certificate you know, had to basically say I was wrong and actually got fired for this, but it became a big story. And people started to begin to trust that kind of stories and stuff. And people in the room, when we told those stories, they were getting restless. They said, what is the secret to all of this one? We don't know this. We are, you know, we know charismatic gifts and speaking in tongues a little bit and this and that and praying for a headache. And sometimes it goes and sometimes it actually comes. What is it? And I said, kingdom. The kingdom of God works on a different frequency. There are two power concepts out there in the Bible. One is charisma, which means you know grace, grace-based gifts. Uh, you you get things based on no merit, undeserved favor of God. Wonderful. Secondly, it's exousia, and exousia is absolutely different. It's vetted, tested lifestyle and character, and after you are tested and checked like a like a person who wants to become a minister of state and have sworn an oath of allegiance to the to the to the, the constitution of the country, then you are being awarded legitimate power, and that is official power. That's exousia. And when Jesus speaks of drive out demons, raise the dead, he doesn't mean to do that based on charisma. That's battery power compared to the high voltage of exousia. And exousia you only get if you are recognized in the kingdom of God. So many people, you know, recognize themselves, but it's not good enough if you call yourself kingdom, kingdom. The the king himself must look at you and say, you are the king's man, the king's woman, because you are, you are saying, Lord, Lord, and you mean it. Not like Matthew 7, 21, 24, where all the Pentecostal and charismatics say, but we drive out demons and we heal the sick and therefore, but, but Jesus says, no, um, you, you just say, Lord, Lord, but you do not do what you say and go away from you, you, you oversteppers of the constitution can be translated. It's a very interesting thing. So basically, to summarize it, uh, we said to the people, look, the most well-known Bible verse about the kingdom of God is Matthew 6.33, and most have it wrong translated. In most translations, it says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else shall be added upon you. And then people pray and want everything else to be added to you. Lord, give me that yach, Lord, give me the power, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that. And it then often doesn't happen, and they wonder what's wrong with their Bible verse. Well, everything. It's wrongly translated. 
The actual translation is that there is a word in there, a Greek word called dikaiosune. And dikaiosune is a Greek word that does not mean righteousness. You know, seek you first uh, the, the kingdom of God uh, and his righteousness. If Jesus has become our righteousness, why would you want to seek something you already have? If you have a pen in your hand right now, and I would tell you, seek you first the pen. You look at me and like, wolf, hello. Hello, I have the pen right here in my hand. Look, 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 pen. And I say, seek you first, the kingdom of God and your pen. And most people realize something is wrong with that statement because how can I seek something I already have? So there must be something, some other meaning. And dikaiosine, just like so many other Greek key words in the New Testament, like ecclesia, do not mean what the church people made it to mean. Ecclesia does not mean church. Only King James thought that. Uh, and, and translated all the, the, the old King James version all wrong in a way. Where is Ecclesia? It must be translated church. No, it is so much more fascinating what Ecclesia actually means. I think in the first podcast I say something about it. So, um, what does Dikazina mean? Short version Dikazina is a legal term. And it means the body of law a group of people give themselves to live by. It's the axiomatic body of law that a city-state or a tribe or a clan is basing their lives on. Today, we would call that constitution, the body of law that our entire society and community is based upon. And the body of Christ and the kingdom has absolutely a constitution. The Christians have kicked it out of the window, like... The lawless one has entered their brain. The lawless one from the, book, uh, the letter to the Thessalonians. So most Christians are lawless. But uh, the kingdom of God is not a lawless country. It's a meta country where Jesus is king, where his law is law, where his economy is his economy, and where the Holy Spirit is in the leadership position. And you are in the followership position. And so when you embrace that uh, and, and suddenly realize, oh, Matthew 6.33 must be translated totally different. Then it sounds like this. Make your life's goal a search for the kingdom of God and a life according to its constitution. And then everything else shall be added. Doesn't a light bulb go on right then and right there? Oh my God, we missed it. We missed the constitution. Yes, we did. Somebody stole it from us. It is one of the cornerstones, what Jesus says, you know, the stones that builders rejected. I once thought about it when Jesus speaks very harshly about this builder reject stone stuff, you know, where he says, um, if you do that, you will be destroyed. That stone will fall on you. You are your porridge. You're, you're smashed. So he speaks and says, that cornerstone is crucial and critical for your life's experience. Either you build on it or it builds on you and your history. So these cornerstones, he says, the builders rejected, and it's actually a very derogative term. Rejecting could mean spit upon, laugh, uh, shove it out the window, laugh their heads off. Ha, 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 Jesus as king, you are joking, you know. King is my government, and Donald Trump, and the new prime minister in New Zealand, that's my king. Oh, really, is it? Or is it your money or your opinionatedness? You know, whatever you, uh, so, so you knee-jerk response to obey, you know, your, your account balance or, or something, you know, that is your king. So, yes, you have your king, but if Jesus is not your king, then keep on laughing. Or they will say, oh, leadership is necessary, and where Wolfgang speaks about leadership and all these things, and we need to follow. It's just a joke. No, 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 we need somebody to, to hold the reins, to be on top of the pyramid, and to, to, to rule the people and the money and the doctrine. 
Well, that's what you believe if you don't believe the Holy Spirit has control when you lose it. Hello? And thirdly, you know, the whole idea of kingdom economics. Oh my God, don't even go there. Uh, where I believe if there's any rebellion in the world, and any area of rebellion in the world, where the Christians are most rebellious, is the area of money. A friend of mine in, uh, in, in Brisbane, Australia, uh, Phil Lai, uh, he, he preaches that he says no other area in the life of Christians is as messed up and rebellious as the area of money, where we do with God's money unbelievable things. And that's why so much suffering is out there, so many problems. And uh, so this is what I would recommend, that that is where we start. You know, redefine your own position within the kingdom. Are you legal in the kingdom of God? From God's perspective, are you in the kingdom because you obey His kingship, His law, His uh, uh, His His um, His constitution, and the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? If not, repent, my friend. There's still time. Go on your knees. You know, uh, uh, allow God to shift things around. Uh, because shifting things around means to totally change your vector when the message of the kingdom hits you. Turn around. Go into a different direction. Don't make Jesus hop on your bandwagon. No, you hop on his. Or if you are into all kingdom economics and you, you say and preach the wrong thing that we need to tap into the resources of the kingdom financially to become rich and powerful and liked. Wrong! That is not the idea of kingdom economics altogether. God has his own business already. Don't you know I need to be about the business of my father, says the 12-year-old Jesus in the, in the temple. And we are the resources that God is recruiting to build his business. That's the other way around. Your business is a resource to the kingdom, not the kingdom a resource for your business. Hello! And if you don't understand it, you don't understand it, you know. Then at least realize you, you don't understand that you, un, that you don't understand. So this is where it all starts. And if you then do this at home, and God is with you, and God then starts to show up and begin to show this by actually showing His glory. It's not just the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's all towards becoming vessels of God's glory, individually, collectively, and even as a nation. That's when it becomes interesting. And um, I think let me stop it here because... You know, maybe let me say one one more or last thing, because it's kind of hot in my heart. I don't quite know, maybe I have to say this. Um, the religious way of worship doesn't work, because the way of worship is very much a Babylonian, Jewish, rebellious way, which replaces sacrificial giving of ourselves uh, with singing songs. The, the first time worship appears in the Bible is Abraham bringing Isaac uh, to a place of worship, I am going to worship, and not with a guitar and a songbook, but with Isaac and a knife. And Isaac represented his future, his career, his, all the promises were embedded in Isaac. And to bring that on the altar before God is the most costliest thing old Abraham could do. What is the most costliest thing that you have right now? Your pension plan, your house, your this, your that, your investment plan. Bring it on the altar. Lay yourself on the altar. And when God saw what Abraham did, you know, that he brought the costliest, precious things. Where he even said, and even if I bring Isaac and, and he dies, God is powerful enough to raise him from the dead. That made God excited. I think that was one of those moments where God had tears in his eyes. Like, I have tears in my eyes right now, just because talking about this just always gets me. Where God said, because you did this, because, Abraham, you did this, I'm going to give you the nations. And he called after him twice. God was really excited about that. 
Is God excited about your worship? And I remember we, we taught this once in Egypt to a bunch of young people and said the difference between the kind of singing songs to God, I bring sacrifice of praise, with a very cheap discount version of worship. You sing a couple things, you say we now go into the worship, and then we later on go out of the worship or what? Where have we been before? You know, worship is a lifestyle of sacrifice. Bring your own bodies, your thinking, Romans 12, before God, your career, your plans, your whatever, your whatever is, is, is precious to you, bring that before God. And then ask the fire of God to fall on it. And whatever's left, you go with. And they realized that. And they had a worship conference like that. Like three days of just lying flat on the floor, casting their crowns before God, and their careers, and their marriage plans, and all the schemes that the family has for them. It was amazing. And you know what? After two and a half days, when they went home in their buses and trams and, uh, and, and trains in Cairo, Egypt, the people couldn't look at them. They, 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 they stared at them and says, what is that light emanating out of every buttonhole of your existence? Look, look, your face is shining. You can't look into it. It was almost like Moses coming down from the mountain with, with unveiled face. You know, that was the glory of God. And that is a great evangelism starter. That is a great convincing point that doesn't require you to say the, the four spiritual laws in its correct uh, 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 you know, sequence. It doesn't require you to have all sorts of discipleship plans. It gets right into their faces because that's where God wants you and me to be. A vessel for God's glory that can't help it. And how do you become a vessel of God's glory? Empty yourself of religion. Get out that muck, that religious muck. You know, allow God to press the reset button, migrate. And friends, it takes time. It's not just a Scotty beam me up on the mountain of the kingdom from the mountain of religion in one minute. You need to unlearn. Your synapses need to reconfigure. You need to learn completely unreligious ways of worshiping. You know, how do you worship without guitar and, and, and a fog machine and confetti? How do you do that? My goodness, it works. It works. All you need is a knife and an Isaac and a desert. Do that. Do that for a month. You change your life. And then out of whatever comes from that, that's what you do. That's how life in the kingdom starts, friends. And often, quite simply, it starts on our knees. It starts with dying to self. It doesn't start with linking up with another powerful promise of a discipleship thing that will make you successful. You will also plug a movement. Let me say this, it can be a seduction of the devil that you want to plant a movement. You want to be a movement planter. In the past, we all wanted to be mega church pastors. Now we want to be movement planters. How about just being children of God, being servants of God, who are worthless slaves told what they're doing, what they're told? You know, that's that's the place. And then we come somehow through this obedience born out of love. You know, if you love me, you do what I'm telling you, obey my uh, commands. That is when we will end our lives and hit bullseye. So many people of God are missing the goal in their lives. I would recognize about 99.5% of Christians miss their goal. At the end of their lives, they miss their goal. Will you miss it? Or will you be bullseye for God?